Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And for a few minutes this morning, I want to preach to us from this passage unto the king unto the king amen god bless you you may be seated thank you for standing in worship together the apostle paul was neither ignorant of nor was he ungrateful towards the abundant grace and love of Jesus Christ. Instead, throughout his writing, we see Paul's acute awareness as evidenced in his introduction to his first letter to Timothy from which we took our text. In verse 14, writing about being blown away By God's goodness to him, Paul wrote to Timothy, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I Am chief. Following this testimony, this adoration that God would reach down into the lowest pit and pull him out and commission him as a minister of the gospel, just prior before he launches into the urgent business for which he was writing Timothy, his understudy. It's as if Paul pauses to reflect on what he has just written. It's as if an uprising of praise and adoration to Jesus Christ has overtaken him so that though he is in the middle of penning a strategic letter, he cannot control the moment. But instead, Paul bursts forth with a succinct but powerful declaration of worship Unto the God, now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory and honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Unto the King, not just an ordinary king, not just another generation, not just inherited it by right of a family dynasty, but this King is eternal. He is self-existent, and there is none like him. Now unto the king, eternal, immortal. This king is incorruptible. He is, he was, and he will forever be. Unto that king, 
eternal and immortal, who's invisible. He's not of this earth, but he rules and reigns in the invisible realm of the supernatural, and he feels eternity unto this king who is eternal, and he is immortal, and he is invisible. The only wise God, for Paul understood that here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So he's the king, and he's eternal, and he's immortal, and he's invisible, and he is the only wise God. Unto this king be honor, and unto this king be glory. He alone is worthy of uninhibited public praise. He alone is worthy of the highest honor. He alone is worthy of glory that would fill the earth. It is the worship of this king that we say unto this king be honor, and unto this king be glory forever and ever. The worship of this king, it transcends time and it transcends space. And so unto this king who is eternal, who is immortal, who is invisible, the only wise God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Everybody say amen. Paul gives a concluding invitation to one and to all that says, why don't you just come and join this song? Why don't you just adopt this praise? Why don't you just come in and make this the mantra of your life? And to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's encapsulating declaration of worship in one verse expressed in our text today was one of the defining <coughs> pardon me, defining anthems of his life. Paul vividly understood that Jesus Christ gave his all for you and I at Calvary. Paul understood that he came himself. God did not send another. God did not send a junior. God did not send a lieutenant. But he humbled himself and the king descended to the form of a servant and he gave us all at Calvary so that we could be saved and we could be adopted as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. Paul understood that since Christ gave us his all, that our all belongs back to him, so that everything that we are and everything that we do, it should be unto him, the king eternal. In fact, you could say that our text that we have read this morning is not just the defining anthem of Paul, but it is one of the defining anthems of scripture and even of eternity itself. For we were created and we are called as to come and to worship the king. We were created and we are called to holistically live all of our lives unto the king eternal as worship unto him. Unto the king. Unto the king. Standing as the last living apostle 
nearing the end of the first century. John writes Revelation to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Seemingly unbeknownst to many self-professed prophecy experts, Revelation was not intended to be some mysterious roadmap to foretell or to interpret current contemporary politics or try to figure out who the beast is or, or what this is or what that trumpet means or somehow foretell the future. That was not the purpose of Revelation. Instead, John wrote to real Christians who faced a wide diversity of real challenges and opposition to their faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the pervasive pagan culture, the pervasive pagan worship of the Greco-Roman culture dominated and defined every aspect of life in the Roman Empire. Especially integrated was the imperial worship of the emperor, of Caesar. He was perceived not only as a god, but he was considered to be a mediator between the gods and humanity. It might sound familiar because hell always has a cheap counterfeit of the real thing. Imperial cult worship was deemed by the masses of society as a reasonable and an expected expression of gratitude and loyalty to the emperor and to Rome for the order and the security and the prosperity of the empire. Temples and shrines and standalone altars dominated the landscape in honor of the emperor. Festivals, civic gatherings, social life, and every aspect of the economy was thoroughly revolving around the worship of the emperor and of the gods. And so these very real Gentile Christians faced relentless pressure to capitulate to the accepted norms of culture. Their exclusive loyalty, their allegiance to a truth established by Scripture, and their unwavering worship of Jesus Christ conspicuously ostracized them from their neighbors and fellow citizens. You may think it's odd when someone looks at you and has an eye of amazement that you do not fit the norm, but what they endured and what they suffered was far beyond anything that the United States of America has yet ever descended into. They faced a real challenge of their faith. Their social, their economic, and their political participation and freedoms was severely limited. They were often publicly shamed and mocked. They were labeled as antisocial. And in all the irony of this human world, they were considered to be atheists for denying the gods. They were in some locales even physically persecuted producing even more stress and compounding the pressure of the age that these Christians had to endure false preachers within their very own churches who advocated tolerance, assimilation, and accommodation towards the imperial cult and the pagan practices of the economy 
for the sake of being accepted and the sake of prosperity. And so when we read the book of Revelation, please do not press upon it today's headlines and try to predict the future. You are doing yourself a great disjustice. But instead, understand that the central and the revolving question of Revelation is essentially who is worthy of worship and honor. In all of the ages and in all of eternity, John pulls the veil off of time and off of space and he asks this question, who is worthy of honor and worship? Is it the emperor or it is it the lamb, Jesus Christ? Is it the counterfeit gods of Greco-Roman origin or is it the king eternal? Who is worthy to be praised. To this end, John's inspired conclusion is very certain. The center of all of eternity revolves around a throne, and it is the throne of God. All of existence revolves around this throne, and there sits Jesus Christ, who is the lion and the lamb, and he sits there alone. And where he sits upon his throne is surrounding that throne concentric circles of worshiping beings who all declare with one voice that he alone is worthy of all honor and all glory. John writes with vivid and fantastic and dramatic imagery that you and I have a hard time understanding. But he was just trying to describe to real Christians that if you would just peel back the curtains of eternity, you would see your situation in a whole different light. You feel the pressure to conform. You have the stress that you should assimilate to the culture that surrounds you. But I want to pull back the curtain and I want to help you understand that in eternity all that is revolves around the throne and it's the throne of the lamb and he alone is worthy of honor and glory unto the king so let us just examine a small sample of John's persuasive visions He writes in chapter 4 and verse 2, his first vision. Immediately, I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat upon the throne. And he who sat there was like jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and the thrones I saw, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold upon their head. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, 
which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion and the second living creature was like a calf. And the third living creature had the face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And some of you are already trying to put countries and people all over this. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever, which he just said, they do not rest day or night. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. John steps into real people's lives and he pulls back the curtain and he says, I want you to have a perspective of eternity where everything that is revolves around a throne. And on that throne sits the king and all of these beings that I can't hardly describe, I'm just going to try to write them to the best of my human mind, but it all just suffice it to say that every being that exists is for one express purpose and that is to say unto the king be honor and glory and power and praise in chapter 5 and verse 9 he keeps describing the scene and they sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000s and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in the heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them. I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. 
in chapter 7 and 9, he takes us to another scene or another glimpse at the scene. After these things I looked, and now behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all the nations and the tribes and the peoples and the tongues. A great multitude. You know what? Sometimes you've got to pull back the veil of your situation and you've got to square your shoulders and you've got to hold your head up looking up into heavens and understand we are not a small thing. We are not insignificant. We are not just some happy cocked, uh, you know, crazy idea of humanity. We are part uh, of an innumerable multitude uh, from every tongue and every nation and from all people groups. uh, And we are a part of something that is what defines all of eternity. This group of people standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with right white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels now stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures they (coughs) fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever amen unto the king eternal immortal invisible the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Time does not permit us to thoroughly examine every relevant passage in Revelation. But John indisputably makes clear that Jesus Christ alone is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that he alone is worthy of our worship. The four living creatures, they worship him. The seven spirits around the throne, they worship him. The 24 elders, they worship him. The innumerable host of angels, they worship him. Every creature in heaven and in earth, they worship him. Of every tribe and every tongue, the endless sea of the redeemed, they worship him. And so I pose this question today. If worship unto the king is the defining backdrop of eternity should it be the defining backdrop of our lives in this world if worship unto the king is the central focus of eternity Should it be the central focus of my life in time and in space that we live? In case there's any hesitancy 
on your part to answer the question. Let me assure you that the resounding testimony of Scripture is yes, it should be. The defining passage of the Old Testament is quite clear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all of your strength, with all of your soul, and with all of your, all of your heart, and all of your soul, and all of your strength. The Psalms certainly give their assurance to how we should answer the question. Psalms 95 and 1. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills, oh, they're his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So, O come, let us worship and bow down, and let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Fast forward to the New Testament, where Peter leaves no room for misunderstanding when he writes in his first letter to the churches, but you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not attained mercy but now have obtained mercy. You are God's special people and you have a purpose that you were created for and that you were called into and that is to proclaim the praises of the king for all to see who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light unto the king. Paul wrote to the Colossians, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He wrote to the Romans similarly, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God 
which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is the perfect will of God? It's what you were created for and it's what you are called into to show forth the praises of the king. (coughs) Pardon. Paul understood and Paul lived out the truth of eternity that we were created and that we are called to worship the king in every area of our life. Because if worship is the backdrop of eternity, then brothers and sisters, friends and family and every special guest, I propose to you that worship unto the king should be the defining backdrop of all of our lives. In all that I am and in all that I do, it should be defined by into the king, unto the king, unto the king. My life, my love, my worship to the king should be evidenced by my unwavering loyalty to God and to Jesus Christ. My worship unto the king in this earth should be evidenced by my steadfast allegiance to truth and the holy scriptures. My worship unto the king in this time and space should be evidenced by my expression of praise and adoration and gratitude. Everything that I am and everything that I do, I must do it unto the king. Every action that I take unto the king. Every attitude that I have is unto the king. My appearance is unto the king. Hi, you may not understand. You might even mock and shame, but I don't my appearance is not about you. It's not even about me. It's unto the king. You might wonder how I can put up with all the junk that surrounds my world, but my attitude must be unto the king. Everything that I am and everything that I do is unto the king. My relationships unto the king. My school, my homework, that research paper, that essay is unto the king. My career, it's unto the king. Thank you, Brother Greg Boyd, for what you shared with us Wednesday night. Hey, my career, it's unto the king. Hey, whether I'm on the front line at Chick-fil-A, I'm a VP of something, or I'm an entrepreneur, it's unto the king. Hey, when I get up and I go play golf with my buddies, it's unto the king. When I go to the park and I let Sally swing, it's unto the king. When I lose my mind and go to the mall, it's unto the king. Everything that I am and everything that I do, it's unto the king. Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Because worthy is the lamb who was slain. 
So let us praise him. So let us adore him. So let us offer thanksgiving unto the king. Because you don't know like I know what he's done for me. The marvelous light of truth shattered the darkness of deception that had blinded me for so long. The marvelous light of grace shined into the deepest caverns of my soul where shame roamed uncontrolled. The marvelous light of peace pierced into the darkness of my soul and my mind to my deepest hurts and my deepest pains. So you may not understand, but unto the King, eternal be honor and glory forever. I worship Him because He broke the chains of sin and He delivered me from the ponds of addiction. I worship Him because He rescued me from the depths of depression. So unto the King, I sing a new song. Unto the King, there are times where I just dance unto him like nobody else is watching. Unto the king I leap. Unto the king I shout with the voice of triumph. Unto the king I weep tears of joy for I'm overwhelmed and worthy is the lamb. Unto the king I clap my hands. Unto the king I raise them before his throne. Unto the king I bow in humble adoration. Unto the king he reached into the miry clay and he pulled me out. He set my feet on a rod to stay. So unto the king eternal immortal invisible be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Unto the King. Unto the King. Unto the King. If worship unto the King is the defining backdrop of eternity, then it must be the defining backdrop of my life. So come, let us worship him in spirit and in truth. Let us worship him sincerely and without duplicity, wholeheartedly. Let us worship him in the power of the spirit and in obedience to his word. Come, let us worship the king. John, in that final chapter of that book, Revelation, writes in those final few verses, and the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts Whoever desires 
Let him take of the water of life freely. Unto the king come. Just as you are, come. Filled with sin, come and repent and be forgiven. Not yet a son and daughter, not yet called by his name, come and be baptized in water, having his name invoked over you and entering into covenant with the king. Feeling his presence, but his presence not feeling you, come and be filled with this Holy Spirit as evidenced by speaking in a language you've never learned. Complacent, looking in the mirror right now and knowing that you've conformed, recognizing areas that you've allowed yourself to be talked into assimilating to this culture. Maybe no longer serving, no longer giving, no longer expressing worship like you once did. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, come unto the King. If you're able, would you stand this morning? We're going to come forward in just a moment invite you to come with us friend family guests come with us we're just going to take a few moments and we're going to do what we've been singing about and what I preached about we're going to come into the kingdom we're going to push back the veil of the things that occupy our mind and the things that try to obscure our vision real challenges, real battles, but we're going to come into the kingdom. And when we come into the kingdom, we find peace and joy, forgiveness and power because we come unto the king. So this morning, would you press pause on the sabbatical of your summer And I invite you to come unto the King because it's the defining backdrop of eternity. And if you want to be a part of that eternity, then it must be the defining framework of your life. Would you join me here in the front with whole hearts and sincerity in your own words? We're going to sing and Worship. We it may get fast, it may not in a little bit, but for a moment, we're just coming before the King. It's just you. It's you and an innumerable multitude of the redeemed who's coming before the King. Maybe you just want to close your eyes and get lost before the throne. Maybe you just want to kind of zero in to where you're at and become lost before the throne of he who is worthy to be praised. Maybe you want to be one who would lift their arms. 
Maybe you would want to be one who would lift their voice. Maybe you're the one who says, God, there are tears, but they're unto the King. Lord, there's a broken heart, but it's unto the King. Maybe you're praying a prayer of repentance, and you're saying, God, my life, I live it unto the King. Unto the King. Would you lift up your voice all across this sanctuary? Come on, it's early. It's early. There's nowhere to even go eat right now. Just enjoy the presence of the King. You're in the presence of the King. Oh, that's it. Come on, Redeem. Would you lift up your voice? Come on, the Redeem. With a loud voice, would you say, Worthy is the King. Honor and glory is the King. Praises and thanksgiving unto the King. Unto the King I pray. Unto the King I lift my hands. Unto the King I lift my voice. Unto the King I will proclaim. I love Him. All across this place. Come on. Come on. It's what you're going to do for eternity. I'm trying to just follow the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Wants to take the veil off your life. You can go running out into the pressure of your battle. But if you don't have the right perspective of eternity, you're going to be eaten up and spit out alive. You've got to understand everything I am and everything I do in triumph and in suffering. On the good days and in the bad days. When I've got to figure it out and when I'm confused. Everything I do and everything I am is unto the King. Eternal, immortal, immortal 